I threw a bar stool through the window and we just pushed people towards the bar so that they weren't um, in the direct line of sight of him and then just filed as many people, everyone that was there in that area out through that back window. Um, and then after we had gotten everyone, the few boys that were uh, shuffling people through, we basically jumped out the window and then just pushed everyone down down the side along the fence towards, towards the parking lot. And there you go. That's the uh, latest installment of a mass shooting in America. Not that we should be uh, smug about things or anything. It's just tragedy uh, compounded by the frequency. And that was a witness describing what he saw and uh, how he encountered things. You know, the surprising thing is there were some folks for whom this was not the first time. They were also in attendance at this country western concert in Vegas just over a year ago when the guy from the 32nd floor of the hotel shot up the parking lot there and killed 58 people. What's going on? Let's try to put some context or perspective to all of this. Joining me on the line, Jonathan Gilliam, former FBI agent. Jonathan, good to have you on The Oakley Show in Toronto. Hi there. It, it's great to be with you, unfortunately, and under these circumstances, however. Well, uh, you know, it's uh, a case that uh, we just see all too frequently, and you've got the new uh, governor there, Gavin Newsom, talking about uh, how this is gun culture. Uh, how do you see it? Well, it's not gun culture. I mean, there's over, you know, there's millions of guns in the United States uh, that are owned legally. Um, and we're not talking about one or two million. We're talking about around 900 million guns. Um, the majority, 99.99% of those people never do anything illegal with those weapons. Uh, that's the gun culture. They follow the law. What this is, and uh, most of these mass shootings that we see, can be classified in a few different ways. Uh, it could be terrorism, which we're all familiar with. Don't know if that's the motive in this in this case. Um, it can be a gang violence. It can be um, any type of illegal uh, activity, whether it be drug or gangs, uh, where they're using most often illegally acquired weapons. Um, and it can be uh, cases where mental health is an issue, and mental health is an issue that is not um, is not confronted by politicians. And the reality of this is that the real problem that exists is that nobody is confronting any of those issues. And when it comes down to it, when we have a mass shooting, the politicians go to politics and they don't go to solutions. That's the problem. Well, the idea of mental illness, because he was a Marine and some or early anyway, ascribing this to PTSD, uh, that may be one of the root causes. I don't know. What have you heard? Anything along those lines? I, you know, I've been working my sources. Everybody's tight lipped right now because there's just not enough information flowing out about this individual. Um, I, I think it's important for people to realize that just because somebody goes over and fights in a war, they're not going to come back with PTSD. PTSD is a, is a literal literally a change in the brain uh, that can be affected by a trauma or traumatic situation. Um, that can happen to anybody, anywhere, uh, if they... Did I lose you? Hang on. Come again. Okay. Uh, we'll try to pick that up again. Because, yeah, okay. We lost contact uh, again. Former FBI agent Jonathan Gilliam... And we're trying to make some sense early in the uh, investigation here of what could have been the reason, and if there's anything at all uh, reasonable about this, uh, 
PTSD, we don't know, as you just heard the agent suggesting. Uh, it's not necessarily something easily ascribed. It's a change in the brain. Uh, but we don't know the degree or extent to which this guy did uh, maybe his tours of duty over in the, um, in the Middle East, or if he did indeed. And then the other thing is, as I understand it, the gun was purchased legally. And usually, uh, if you're going to do that, you'd have to be screened for it. Although my understanding is back in April, uh, there was another incident. All right, uh, let's pick it up again. All right, we're just uh, sort of in real time trying to pick up where we left off. Jonathan Gilliam with us, former FBI agent. Jonathan, I was just suggesting that, you know, this PTSD, the point that you made, uh, is maybe uh, not as readily ascribed to these kinds of things as we might assume. It's uh, a change in the brain. Do we know at all about his marine history and if he did tours of duty in the Middle East? It appears that he did, uh, from what I'm reading, that he he did uh, uh, he was over in the Middle East, and I don't know to the to the extent that he was over there, um, and that's why I think um, at this point in time I, I I don't really know the full extent of his experience uh, in the military and and what he actually went through. And you know, here's here's the thing: is what's dangerous about the way that we the media. Uh, and politicians immediately jump on these different issues, it really does affect the perception of reality that the population, not just in the United States, but in Canada as well has. And uh, that can cause real problems when it comes for, for the uh, a true understanding of PTSD, a true understanding of mental health, health uh, and the true understanding of, of our rights in the United States when it comes to having a, a gun. You know, these are, are perceptions that are not reality. Um, but uh, they are often pushed out by media and politicians. And, and, and again, you know, let, let me just say this. You know, when a plane crashes, um, a lot of the times there are known issues with planes, and they wait until a plane crashes before they tackle those issues, or sometimes the issues aren't known. Um, and then when the plane crashes, the FAA here in the United States will, will uh, make will, will uh, basically force the airlines to make uh, changes that may cost a lot of money. And uh, it, it's a very similar situation here in that we have issues that are going on and nobody's confronting these issues. And when something happens, all they do is politic it into the ground until it disappears. Well, uh, all right. Uh, you might say in some instances with the media and politicians, they want a convenient plug-and-play narrative. So uh, mental illness becomes something that they can, you know, patch in there and uh, away we go. And you're saying maybe let's drill down on it to understand mental illness a little better or uh, address that beforehand. Look, uh, we've got a toxic stew, though. You talked about 900 million handguns in the States, uh, readily accessible and available my understanding is uh, this individual, who's been identified as Ian David Long, bought his legally. Uh, so I'm guessing there, do you believe that there are uh, enough uh, screening processes in place that keep the guns out of the hands of people who may be mentally unstable? Here, it's a great question. And one, uh, the answer to that, I believe, is the one that nobody's talking about. And that is that law enforcement themselves interact with people on a daily basis. And as I'm reading here, um, this individual was known to law enforcement. And I think this is a gap, whether you're, you know, no matter where you live, that is being missed, where they, they feel as though you have to be diagnosed uh, with having uh, some type of an issue, or you have to have been in jail before, before uh, they can say, no, you can't have a gun. But if somebody has enough run-ins with the law, 
if they apply for a gun, there should be, uh, I believe, there should be um, a doubling down of the check and an interviewing of the people as to why that they want the guns. If somebody shows uh, over and over again that they have interaction with law enforcement and it's of a violent nature, I think that should send up red flags, not just because an American uh, citizen wants to buy a gun, but because uh, of a background that has shown uh, these behaviors again and again. I think that's being missed um, when we consider um, the Second Amendment and people's rights to have weapons. I think that is something because almost every single person that has done one of these shootings and every single person that does uh, a gang-related or a drug-related shooting, almost every single one of them have had multiple run-ins with the law. Well, that's interesting that you would say that. I mean, because you do have your Second Amendment, uh, which, you know, is uh, the right to bear arms. You've also got, you know, First Amendment protections for privacy purposes and things like that. Uh, sure. And, you know, this is where it's it's hard to square the circle then because, uh, you know, you'll get the ACLU or somebody actually advocating uh, for certain liberties. I'm not sure it's the ACLU anymore, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they'll never they'll never go again you know to try to do something that's going to stop gun uh uh they, they really do uh, want to go against the second amendment there's no doubt about that right. well uh, okay i don't think this is the case i don't think this is the case of first amendment speech because these are people that interact with law enforcement in a in a in a situation where law enforcement is called that's public knowledge and uh public information so um if it's of a violent nature and or even minimal violent nature, but multiple, multiple run-ins. We had a woman who shot uh, her daughters in Texas a couple of years ago and had 18 run-ins with law enforcement because she had mental illness. That is something that should be considered before she went out and bought her guns legally. All right. So uh, somebody would have to establish those criteria along the way. Uh, Is that the political class then uh, at the state level, at the federal level? Well, I would hope it would be at, at the federal level, since it's a federal, uh, since the Constitution is a, is a federal um, document. But uh, you know, th- this is something that would, uh, would. Well, you're talking about an amendment to the Constitution, then? No, I'm not talking about an amendment to the Constitution. But uh, but I believe that I don't think that the Constitution would need to be amended for that, uh, because the Constitution has never been amended for the restrictions on the Second Amendment. They impose those. Uh, through law uh, in the uh, in the federal government quite often, and then in states, and in the fact, you know, I live in Manhattan, so Manhattan has in Chicago uh, and cities like that, uh, they have some of the strictest gun laws that literally spit right in the face of the Constitution. But they do it through uh, through their laws, and uh, I think this is something that uh, would not affect the Second Amendment, but would literally take uh, people's behaviors and hold them to the standards. And I think that's something we need to look at. Well, all right. So you're advocating for stricter gun laws, yet ironically, California has some of the strictest in the nation, don't they? Yeah, yeah. And I'm not I'm not advocating for stricter gun laws. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I'm advocating for um, for uh, I guess you could say an understanding of people's behaviors um, that have mental illness or that are prone to violence. And I think that's something that should be looked at. Look, if you have uh, an issue uh, where you've been arrested or you have uh, a known mental illness uh, and you've been um, put in uh, a lockup for a period of time, those things are going to come out when you go and apply for a, for a gun. Um, in, the, in the case of a felon, you're not going to be able to get a gun. So if somebody is not a felon, but they have skirted that line over a period of time, I do believe that is something that we should look at um, because uh, this is a behavioral thing, not a gun 
not a gun issue. And I think we should look at the behavior of these people who skirt that criminal line. Well, I wish you the best uh, as far as that idea is concerned. It would certainly take political will to do that. Uh, and then, mm-hmm. again, as you mentioned, 900 million handguns out there. Uh, we'd hope that everybody, you know, had certainly met the criteria for being in possession legally. But we know there are so many that are floating around or people will gain access to them illicitly and uh then all havoc uh, can rain down it's like the las vegas shooter for example he had a whole uh, arsenal in there with him i mean how does this guy qualify i think there were no fewer than 20 ar-15s were there yeah yeah it was a massive storage of weapons and ammunition and i and i, I will be honest i don't want to get conspiratorial on this but i still have my issues with that uh that entire incident in vegas because that guy had no criminal behavior um, he did not fit the profile of somebody who would be a mass shooter because he had absolutely zero run-ins with the law. And that is the only time that I know of, and I've studied this a lot, where somebody that carried out a mass shooting had not had an issue of mental illness or an issue of run-ins with the law. Um, that's a whole other story for you, I'm sure. Mm. Uh, but, but you know, you said it yourself there just a second ago, uh, the, the all this stuff comes down to politics, and that's the unfortunate thing with this is that it really does uh, not get solved every year and after every shooting because of politics. So simply doing threat assessments of schools, for instance, and uh, understanding how to keep people out of schools that may want to shoot or guns out of schools that may come in with students is something that is believe it or not, rarely looked at from politicians and law enforcement and school administrators. I don't understand why this is the case, Mm -hmm. but I I think we could be a lot safer if we started looking for um, how, how we, uh, how we approach these situations before they happen, other than just taking guns away from people. Because once a gun was invented, there will always be illegal guns moving around uh, any country, even in Canada. Well, uh, we just had our own government talking about uh, reinforcing the border and uh, sniffer dogs and all the rest of that as a a sort of a salvo against the guns and gangs issue that we face. Not as bad as in the States, needless to say, but it's all unsettling. Jonathan, appreciate your time and uh, putting this into an interesting perspective. You got it. God bless you guys. And thank you for going down this road and looking at these things for solutions, because as we all know, it's not the politicians. It's the people who always make the the right choices. Fair enough. Jonathan Gilliam, former FBI agent. uh, Appreciate that. Again, another mass shooting in the U.S. of A. And so it goes.